day. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But if a man doesn't have a job or an income, he has neither life nor liberty and the possibility for the pursuit of happiness. He merely exists. He merely exists. I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580-1800-920-1580. Glad to have you with us uh, in this final hour on King Day 2023, what would have been the 94th birthday officially yesterday. Uh, The person I regard as the greatest American this country's ever produced, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Today, of course, the national holiday, and we are spending all three hours of this program today. We are now in Uh, We've arrived in hour three safely, uh, but spending all three hours unpacking uh, what King called the three major evils facing this democracy, racism, poverty, and militarism. Here we are 55 years after his assassination, and we are still confronted with this uh, triple threat facing our democracy, racism, poverty, and militarism. I believe that the future of this democracy is inextricably linked, inextricably linked to how seriously we take the legacy of Dr. King. For me, that legacy uh, is justice for all, service to others, and a love that liberates people. That's the legacy, justice for all, service to others, and a love that liberates people. But you can't protect that legacy without wrestling with this triple threat of racism, poverty, and militarism. And our first hour today, uh, we spent the hour talking about racism with the brilliant public intellectual Robin D.G. Kelly, out of UCLA. In our second hour, we talked about militarism with the brilliant professor out of Cal State LA, uh, Dr. Melina Abdullah, co-founder of uh, Black Lives Matter LA. Uh, And uh, in this hour, uh, for the first 30 minutes, we're going to talk about poverty with another brilliant scholar, uh, Dr. Algernon Austin, uh, on the evil of poverty, income inequality, and economic mobility. Uh, He is director for race and economic justice at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. We'll start the hour with him and close the hour with the uh, new mayor, uh, relatively new mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. He is the first African-American, 57 mayors in this historic city, Montgomery, uh, the home of the Montgomery bus boycott, the home of uh, Dr. King's first pastorate at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And now. 57 mayors in, a black man is running the city of Montgomery. We'll talk to Mayor Stephen Reed uh, on the B side of this hour. But now, pleased to have Dr. Algernon Austin back on this program, on this King Day. Happy King Day, Dr. Austin. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Happy King Day to you. It's good to have you on the program. Thank you for your time. Uh, Let me jump right in to make the most of these 30 minutes that we have uh, on the top side of this hour. Um... Uh, you know King's edict as well as I do, racism, poverty, militarism, that triple threat. As I said earlier, we've talked about racism uh, and militarism today. We want to get to the issue of poverty with you. Um, here we are in 2023, and if King were to return and to look at the levels and the rates of poverty in this country uh, and uh, economic immobility, um, he'd be stunned. I'm looking for uh, a note that I wrote to myself a few moments ago. Um, we heard on the news break uh, in the last hour some update. Here it is. We heard some updated numbers on uh, some updated uh, wealth stats. So this was breaking news just last hour, uh, released uh, of course in time for the King holiday. Given that everybody knows 
that King was organizing a poor people's campaign at the time of his assassination. So this data just in the richest one percent of people in the world, the one percenters around the globe now own and control two thirds of the world's wealth. The top one percent now own and control two thirds of the world's wealth in the last two years alone. They've increased their coffers by $2.6 trillion. The top 1% controls two-thirds of the world's wealth. And in two years alone, the last two, they've increased their coffers by $2.6 trillion. What do you make, first of all, Dr. Austin, of that data? Well, it, it, it shows that we are a highly dysfunctional world. Um, we can't... Uh, be a truly healthy country for the United States, a healthy world with this level of inequality. And what you see, uh, the results of this is a lot of strife, a lot of violence, a lot of conflict, uh, both within this country and, and, and abroad, that stems from this. I mean, people are liberal, when you look uh, both in the U.S. and globally, people are liber- literally starving, people are being evicted from their homes. Uh, people cannot afford the, the health care that they need. People cannot afford the education that they need. Um, so this is, a, this is a fundamental, you know, it is, it is a moral issue. So I think it's really important to, to uh, take Dr. King's moral leadership and moral outrage at, at what he saw when he, he, he looked at this in, in the 1960s. What makes the indictment against the U.S. so much more visceral for me um, is that the U.S., uh, the United States of America, is the richest nation in the history of the world. We are the richest nation in the history of the world. If we were to give a pass, and I'm not suggesting that we should, but if we give other nations around the globe a pass uh, on the progress they've not made on the issues of poverty and income inequality and economic immobility, it's hard to give the U.S. a pass, given that we are the richest nation in the history of the world. And that, to my mind, is a damning indictment of this nation, Dr. Austin. It, it quite is, uh, because, you know, you can't repeat that point enough, that how rich we are, because mm-hmm. unfortunately you have many, many uh, politicians who always want to say, oh, we can't afford it, we need to tighten our belts, belts etc., uh, when you raise the issue of what we're going to do to address poverty, but we can't afford it. We we are extremely rich, and even when you compare the United States to other rich Western countries, and those countries aren't without criticisms either. But they, when you you can look at UNICEF and their report card on child well-being, mm-hmm. and the United States, they're looking at the richest like twenty or thirty countries. The United States is near the bottom, highest rates of child poverty. It's it is truly shameful that um, you know basically all of Western Europe um, does better at uh, reducing child po- poverty than we do. Canada does better than we do. Um, Spain does better than we do. <laughs> you know, every everyone, South Korea does better than we do in terms of reducing child poverty. And there is no, there is no justification for that. There's no excuse for that. It's a real 
political failure and a real moral failure. It's a shame and a disgrace. Um, and to your point about being a moral and a political failure, I want to come back to that issue in a moment and ask why we think that is. 55 years after his death, uh, America is still failing morally, still failing politically, still failing clearly economically. Is it a will question or a skill question? Why are we at the bottom of all of these lists um, when it comes to doing what needs to be done to alleviate poverty, uh, income inequality, and economic immobility? We'll put that question in more to Dr. Algernon Austin when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580, unapologetically progressive talk radio for you. Uh, I'm Tavis Smiley, and glad to have you in this hour as we talk to Dr. Algernon Austin about that third of these uh, triple threat evils that Dr. King suggested face our democracy, uh, racism, poverty, and militarism. We've discussed racism in our one, uh, militarism in our two, and here we are in our three now talking about the issue of poverty. Um, Dr. Austin, you sort of teed this up before that break a moment ago. Let me come right back to it. Um, we are failing morally. We are failing politically. Uh, on the issue of poverty and income inequality and economic immobility. You note, I always mention all three of those because those three things are inextricably linked. King talked about uh, 60 years ago uh, what he called a revolution of values, that America needed a revolution of values. On this particular issue of poverty, what does that revolution of values look like for you? Well, this year... Uh, not only is it King's birthday, but this year is the 60th anniversary of the the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where mm -hmm. King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And it's important for people to remember that the march was a march for jobs and freedom. So the economic concerns were already there very strongly. And one of the, one of the uh, demands of the, ma the march was for a massive federal program to train and place all unemployed workers, Negro and white, on meaningful and dignified jobs at decent wages. And that's a quote of one of the demands of the, mm -hmm. of the march. And in this 60th anniversary year, uh, my organization, the Center for Economic uh, and Policy Research, and nine other leading economic policy organizations are really lifting up King's vision and saying that we need to, to realize this. We need full employment for all, and people can find out more at the website fullemploymentforall.org. And we're calling for a federal program of subsidized employment. Right now, you, you'll hear uh, on the national news about we're in a period of low, low unemployment. And that's the national statistics. But in every state... In this country, there are pockets of high unemployment. So, for example, in Flint, Michigan, although last year the the unemployment rate was less than three less than four percent nationally, Flint, Michigan, it was almost eleven percent. So, mm -hmm. still in double digit. In Washington D.C., if you look for the black population in D.C., it's uh, uh, in the last quarter almost eleven eleven percent, still in double digits. And there are other there are other communities, other areas like this all across the country. And Dr. King called, you know, this was one of the things that he was so concerned about um, in, the, in, the, in the last year of his life, making sure that people get jobs and get incomes. 
um, to alleviate poverty. This is what the Poor People's Campaign was about. And we still need it, unfortunately. The black unemployment rate in 63 was twice the white unemployment rate. Today, it is still twice the, the white unemployment rate. So we, the black America still needs a, a, a jobs program to make sure that uh, every black person who wants a job, who needs a job, can get a job. It, it, should, make, it should make each of us angry. It, it certainly does uh, make me angry um, to hear, hear those stats, and particularly the last um, data point you shared with us. That black unemployment 50, 60 years ago, six decades ago, black unemployment, which King and those others in the movement uh, were railing against at that march on Washington for jobs and freedom, the black unemployment rate was twice that of white folk. 60 years later, the black unemployment rate is still, still twice that of white folk. Um. You know, there, there, there's some things that I'd, I'd be embarrassed to tell Dr. King were he here today um, because it just shows that we've made, made no progress. I mean, in some areas we've made some progress, but in, on this particular and stubborn issue of poverty and income inequality and economic mobility, we have made absolutely zero progress. Let's just call a spade a spade. If we were twice the unemployment rate of white folks 60 years ago and we're still twice the unemployment rate of white folks 60 years later, We've made absolutely no progress. You ain't got to be a math major to know that means you ain't done nothing in 60 years. How did you read that, Dr. Austin? Yeah, you know, you took the, the words out of my mouth. I, I get embarrassed talking about it. It's embarrassing, it. man. <laughs> yes. It's just like, wow. But the only thing I do is like, okay, well, let's, let's try not to be here uh, at the 70th anniversary. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's why we have this campaign. It's like, let's, let's put this on the agenda. Let's try to get, you know, people in Congress, you know, this is this coalition where just like King did in his final year, recognizing, again, this is in every state, every race, um, you know, so we're looking at, just like King did, we're looking at whites in Appalachia, we're looking at Native American communities that are suffering from high unemployment, we're looking at Latino communities in the Southwest suffering from high unemployment. And like King was trying to do, if we can get all of these groups to put it on their agenda and to say this is a problem, and like we were saying before, we are an incredibly rich country. We know how to solve this. We can solve this. We can make the investments to solve this. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's a lot of work, but it's it's just just like King saw. It's something that is is possible, uh, but we have to figure out how to how to get it done, how to get the attention of our, our elected officials to make it a reality. No, I hear the point you are, you're getting to now. And it's the, it's the, the, the age-old debate about will versus skill. Is this a will problem or a skill problem? And clearly we have the skill. We know how to do it. We just don't possess 60 years later the will to do anything about poverty and income inequality and economic immobility. King famously said, as you know, Dr. Austin, that budgets – are moral documents budgets are moral documents show me what your budget is and i'll tell you what your what your priorities are because budgets are moral documents it seems to me that not much has changed in the way we do the budget process in washington or in state capitals 
Uh, what's your read on why 60 years later, our budgets are still telling a very clear story about what we prioritize and what doesn't matter to us? Well, I, 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 unfortunately, I wasn't able to hear your segment on militarism, but you know our military budget is incredibly large. Exactly, and, <laughs> and, and growing, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's one, that's one major imbalance. But it also, you know, our political system, unfortunately, um, caters to, to the 1%. You know, and that's why, and the 1% structures our policies that favors the 1%. You know, so that's why we're seeing the trends that are going on. So we need more democracy. You know, we need to, you know, getting to the other reason why voting rights is so important. We need, we need a strong democracy. Everybody needs to be involved and engaged and able to, without obstruction and intimidation, able to participate fully in our democracy. Because once we have a stronger democracy, then the 1% won't be writing all of the rules. Yep. Um, I wonder how Dr. King might process um, the phrase you just used, uh, more democracy. That's obviously what he was fighting for. I mentioned earlier in this program, I gave a talk last night here in L.A., at a major King event, and I talked about the fact that we always want to see King as a dreamer. And I tried to advance this notion last night, submit to the audience that King was not just a dreamer, that King was a democratizer. He was a democratizer. And black people, uh, at our best, uh, that's what we've done. We are the ones who have democratized this nation to the extent that we are a democracy. I argued last night that America is not a democracy. At best, we are an experiment in democracy. And here you come the day after saying that what we need is more democracy. Well, that's exactly what King was fighting for all those years ago. Um, what do you make of the fact that here we are again, 60 years since the March on Washington, 55 years after his assassination, and we got people like you on this program calling still for more democracy? Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a long and difficult struggle um and I you know, I'm not I'm, I'm no Martin Luther King. Um none of us are. Yeah, none of us are. I hope that you know, more people you, there, there are lots of lots of great people listening to this program right now, lots of organizers, lots of political analysts. And I just hope that we can inspire them to engage on this issue, to engage the struggle for economic justice, to engage um, in the struggle to make this country, to make this experiment in democracy, you know, more effective at being mm. a true uh, democracy. Yep. Uh, because, yes, unfortunately, I don't have all the answers, but I'm hoping that there are people in your audience who who can help help us both and and who can move this along. Well, I don't have all the answers either. That's why I chose to be a talk show host. I can I'm good at questions. <laughs> I'm I'm good at asking questions. I, I don't have all the answers either. But let me let me ask this question as as I ask the question with a minute and a half to go here. Um with regard specifically to black people. Again, we established earlier that we were twice the unemployment rate of white folk 60 years ago at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. 2023, we are still twice the unemployment rate for white folk in America today. Here's my question. For black folk in particular, do the numbers remain stagnant as they have been for 60 years? Do they get worse? Put another way, are black folk preordained, predestined to always be in this state? 
I don't see it as preordained. I, I think it's a very difficult uh, struggle. Um, but I, again, we are a wealthy nation. It does not have to be this way. It's a matter of building the coalitions and building the p- political power. And we can transform this. I mean, we have the potential to be a truly, you know, great nation, a truly great democracy, if we can address the problems that you're addressing today, if we can get past the racism, if we can get past the militarism, if we can get past this extreme economic inequality, yeah. we can really be uh, a, 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 an inspiration to to the entire globe. Yeah. There's a biblical admonition um, that suggests that the poor you will have with you always. Uh, I just didn't think that scripture meant that we were going to be the poor always. Uh, <laughs> and I'm hoping that we can, uh, again, arrest that development. For now, we'll leave it there. Dr. Algernon Austin, we thank you for your, your work and your witness and, your, and for this fine program that you're engaging later in the year. And uh, hopefully we'll talk about it as we move toward the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. After news, traffic, and sports, 57 mayors in Montgomery, Alabama, finally has an African-American leading the city as chief executive. We will speak with Mayor Stephen Reed when we come forward after news, traffic and sports on KBLA Talk 1580.